If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, hey, hey. Hi, happy hour friends. Well, you guys, we've made it to another school year. It might be the weirdest and oddest school year that we've ever had, but we're officially in school at our house. Three of my boys are in high school and I don't even understand how that has happened. And my daughter is smack dab in the middle of middle school. Things still look way different than we thought they would but it's okay, right? We are going to make it. We're going to be faithful right where we are. We're gonna trust God with our future. We're gonna put our hope only in Him because listen, we can't put our hope in school starting. We can't put our hope in going back to our job. We can't put our hope in finances. We will be people who put our hope in Jesus. Oh, I'm preaching to myself right now, you guys. I hope you're encouraged to do the same. Speaking of preaching to myself, maybe you could let me preach to you. I did not actually preach in the book, but I do encourage you a lot in this book to be the woman and the man that God has created you to be. If you have pre-ordered my new book, You Be You, Why Satisfaction and Success Are Closer Than You Think, I am over the moon thankful for you. I really, really am. It feels really weird to talk often about, here's my new book. Will you go buy it? But I believe in this message so very much. I believe in it deep to my bones. I believe in it for myself. I believe in it for you, for your daughters, for your friends. I believe that we can be women who feel satisfied and feel successful right where we are. We don't need to try to be someone else or use someone else's gifts, that God has given us exactly what we need to do what he wants us to do in the spaces where he has put us. And he wants us to be faithful to that. So if you want to pre-order it, I'd be really grateful for that. It comes out on October 1st. If you do pre-order it, make sure you go redeem your goodies. This is fun. We love to give away stuff. So go to jamieivy.com slash UBU. Or if it's easier for you to text, text the word UBU to 33777. That's UBU with no spaces to 33777. And I'll send you everything you need to know to redeem your goodies. We have fun pre-order goodies like lunch with me and a friend a ticket to our virtual happy hour book launch party, discount codes for our merch shop, and you get to read the first chapter right away. So pre-order the book. And here's what I love about pre-ordering books. Now that I have written some books, I pre-order lots of books. And not only is it supporting my friends who are writing books, but it's this really nice surprise because you forgot you ordered it. So pre-order and on October 1st, you're going to open your door to a surprise gift from me. Friends, today's guest is a woman that I had not met before or even heard about before her book came across my desk. 
I noticed the title, I was intrigued by it, and it sat on my bookshelf for a while, and I finally picked it up and devoured every single word of it. Rachel Gilson is the author of that book I'm talking to you about, and she's been following Jesus for about 15 years now. She serves in the campus ministry crew in the Boston metro area with her husband, Andrew, and their daughter. Rachel started following Jesus during her freshman year at Yale College after splitting up with her high school girlfriend. Rachel and I talk about how she met Jesus and how following him is messy but transformative. Rachel is same-sex attracted, and she shares with us that it is more than self-denial, but it is the joy of Jesus in what satisfies our deepest desires. We also talk about our love for the church and how we need to be people who fight to not carry ourselves or think of ourselves or act like ourselves as better than any of our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community. We also talk about how we can be a community and Christ followers that is 100% loving towards women and men who are same-sex attracted. All right, you guys, here is my conversation with Rachel. Rachel, welcome to the happy hour. I'm so glad to be here. I am so happy to be here. Okay, so I have just, I've chatted your ear off before we started recording, and I'm going to gush again, all right? Your book, Born Again This Way, which came out March 1st, in the middle of a global pandemic. Well, actually, we, we hadn't- No, no, no. We it hadn't entered right into before. it yet. before, yeah. Right was, before. Uh-huh. I was thinking this weekend, I got all like sappy. I was thinking about the last time I was on an airplane and where I was, and I was in LA- or Orange County. There's a difference. I know people are going to get mad at me, but I flew in and out of LA people. And it was March, I believe 13th was when I came home. And so here we are, we're recording this at the end of June, but your book, Born Again This Way, I've had it on my shelf. I've had it to read for many months, probably even before March 1st arrived. I picked it up a few weekends ago, devoured it, underlined, starred, read the entire thing at the pool with my daughter. I'm happy to have you here. So welcome. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Do the just high level introduction for the people who are listening to us today. Yeah. So I am an employee with Crew. We are formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. I serve on the national theological team, which is very fancy sounding. Really, just means the only thing I'm good at is reading and writing. So and I you're getting your doctorate, which might yes, be and I'm I'm starting my doctorate yes, again. I really believe that each and every one of us has gifts that God has given us to serve the church, and it's just me trying to figure out how can I possibly be useful to the body and not just sit around reading for my own pleasure. So that's hopefully the doctorate's going to force me that direction. So I spent a lot of time reading and thinking and speaking and trying to help myself and help the church think about specifically issues related to sexuality. Also, I just love teaching the Bible, but that's a little more general than the other topic. I love it. And then your personal life, married for 13 years? Almost 13. Congratulations. It feels appropriate to hit our 13th anniversary in 2020, which has kind of been an open dumpster fire, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I have a six and a half, a half That's important. To her, a six and a half year old daughter who is, everyone who meets her is like, wow, she's a character. I think that's a very fair description of her. I love it so much. Well, I have a list of things that I want to chat with you about. And I mentioned them to you before we started recording and and we giggled because there's no way we'll get through all of these, but we will try our hardest. (laughs) I read your book. And the first thing I want you to tell us is about your story of becoming a follower of Jesus. I think it's an appropriate place to start before we dive into this conversation, talking about sexuality and same-sex attraction and all of those things that we're going to hit. So talk to us about how and when you met Jesus. Right, because my 16-year-old self would never have assumed that my 35-year-old self would be doing this particular podcast on this particular conversation. I grew up 
in Southern California to like an extremely non-church going family. Like I only knew about Jesus because Christmas time you sing about Rudolph and Frosty and like baby Jesus. Like that was my whole, Got it. that yeah. was my whole category, just weren't church goers. So by the time I was in high school, I'd kind of realized two things. One, I really cared about the world of ideas and I formed this accidental assumption that Christianity is totally against ideas. I had this belief that Christianity was for stupid people. People didn't want to think for themselves. And I've since learned that Christianity is actually the greatest intellectual tradition in the world, but I just, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I realized when I was in high school was, okay, the way that my female friends feel about boys, I actually think that's how I feel about other girls. I always liked guys. I really enjoy the company of men, actually. But when I would try to, you know, I had a boyfriend for a little while when I was a freshman and some other romantic interactions with guys through high school. And I always thought, maybe if I just keep trying, you know, I'll like develop a taste for it. You know, like when someone's first learning how to drink beer or something, mm-hmm. but it just, yeah. it just wasn't working. And you might think, well, that's because you were hooking up with teenage boys and you're not <laughs> wrong. But when I began to have sexual and romantic experiences with other young women, I was like, oh, no, this is this is definitely home. Like the difference between when you put on a perfectly broken in pair of jeans that you could just wear all of the time as opposed to like pants you got to shove yourself in and aren't really yeah. comfortable no matter mm-hmm. how you sit. This was 2001. This was back when Will and Grace was still edgy, not nostalgic. So it was a little like, am I allowed to do this. But when I rummaged through my drawer of morality, again, I wasn't a churchgoer. I was like, I don't know. I don't find anything in here that tells me I can't do this. It's certainly not hurting anybody. Um, So by the time I went to New England for schooling, I went to Yale, I was really like set. Like I am an intellectual genius (laughs) and someday I'm going to marry a woman and hopefully I'll marry this one woman that my my high school girlfriend I was like obsessed with in the way that teenagers become obsessed with Mm -hmm. things. So the kindness of the Lord to me during my freshman year at Yale was certainly not the weather, but was that he took those two pillars and he just ripped them out from underneath me. So one, turns out if you go to a crappy public high school in the middle of nowhere, California, you will not be the smartest person at Yale. Or like, at least I wasn't. I was like, oh no, there's a lot I am of not smart a, people oh, in this world. There really are. And so many of them right here on campus with me. So that just crumble, crumble, crumble. And then my girlfriend at the time left me for this. It's a terrible story. She left me for this guy who like lived in a van that didn't even start. You had to like roll it down a hill to get, I was like, that guy is better than me. You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) And so I, longer story, I'd been kicked out of my house. So Christmas break, they make you leave. I ended up being with my now ex-girlfriend in Tahoe where she was living Christmas morning. I'm on her futon reading Don Quixote. I can hear her having sex with her new boyfriend in the other room. And I'm like, Rachel, this is the worst. This is the worst Christmas ever, right? I was like, yes. this is so terrible. So I remember flying back to Yale thinking a little bit like, who am I? You yeah. know, and I, was, I wasn't like, oh, I need to turn to Jesus because I didn't believe in Jesus, you know, but yeah. I was kind of doing an identity crisis, sort of like, oh, I should write the newspaper, except I'm not smart enough. Oh, I should go to the gym more, except I'm so lazy. And so it was just sort of casting around. So early in the spring semester, again, it's constantly winter, we were, um, I was in a philosophy course and we were talking about Rene Descartes. He's the old dead French man who invented the phrase, I think, therefore I am, which, you know, is a famous phrase. And from that, he actually creates this whole proof for the existence of God. I remember sitting in the audience thinking, that is a really stupid proof for the existence of God, which I still think, actually. 
But while I was sitting there, I was like, what if there's a better proof for the existence of God? And like quickly, I was like, no, that's for stupid bigots. We don't think that way. But it was mm-hmm. kind of, I couldn't shake it, you know, and I'm a good millennial. So I decided I would ask the internet. Yeah. You know? So I would just, this is back when you need two hands to open your laptop. You know? <laughs> yes. I went back to my room and I would just like t- type in religious search terms, read whatever came up. When my roommates would come in, I would slam my computer shut, you know, like a kid caught looking at porn on the family computer and be like, oh, I'm just doing my French homework, which was never true. Right. And I just kept coming back to reading about Jesus, which kind of, it was really surprising to me. Like my vision of Jesus was sort of like an ancient George W. Bush wrapped in a toga. I just sort of had a caricature in my mind of Mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. And instead I was reading about Jesus in a way that really fleshed him out and made him seem so much more interesting. And I was like, the character of Jesus can't be interesting to me. Like I want to marry a woman someday. I'm very intellectual. This can't be true. But he just drew me in. And so the only two people I knew on campus who identified as Christians were these two girls who were dating each other. And one of them was training to be a Lutheran minister. So I thought maybe they know something I don't. So I went to them and they were like, oh yeah, it's been a big misunderstanding. Like the Bible actually supports monogamous same-sex relationships. And they gave me this packet explaining those interpretations. And I was pumped. First of all, I love packets. And second, <laughs> I thought, well, maybe there's something about this religion I didn't quite understand. Like I wasn't saying I was ready to believe in Jesus, but that idea was pretty exciting to me. So I remember taking it back to my room, running through it and thinking, gosh, this makes a lot of sense. But I also thought, well, I've never really read the Bible for myself. I should probably pull up the Bible verses it's talking about and just kind of check it. I had my screen, I had the packet. And as I was reading the different verses that it was claiming to interpret, I just suddenly saw this disconnect. I was like, goodness, I don't think these interpretations are actually as solid as they first seem. I'm not a Bible scholar, but I'm really only good at reading, you know? And so I remember thinking, shoot, and I kind of felt duped, you know? So I remember throwing the packet into my cheap dorm room trash can, it like knocking over because there's no substance to it. And just thinking it was stupid for me to think that there was really any possibility here. Yeah. But pretty shortly after that, I happened to be in the room of a friend who was a non-practicing Catholic and I was standing in her doorway I don't know if you watch Gilmore Girls, but... Everyone has but me, but I mean, I get the gist. Rory Gilmore was my year at Yale, and I was when I watched it way later, I was really impressed with how accurate the dorm rooms actually look like Yale's mm-hmm. dorm rooms. So yeah. if you're familiar with that show, you can picture it, right? So standing in her doorway, and she was getting something out of her bag or whatever, and she had a bookshelf by her door. And one of my favorite hobbies is to look at people's books and judge them. So I was checking out her bookshelf. (laughs) I noticed she had a copy of this book on her shelf called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Now, I wasn't raised on Narnia, so Lewis didn't ring the right bells for me. But the title of the book was really interesting. Mm -hmm. But I was also embarrassed by my interest. Like, I didn't want to ask her for it. She's a sweet girl. She would have given it to me. But I just decided to steal it. You know, it's not that she's not looking. You just stick it right in your bag. You go along your way. I had no morality. So I was reading this book in the library one day, not doing my homework, also a theme of my freshman year. And suddenly while I was reading it, just like in the middle of the book, it wasn't, there wasn't like a particular sentence or paragraph, but I was just suddenly overwhelmed with, oh my goodness, not only does God exist like in a generic store brand way, but like the God exists. I, in a sense, I could tell that the holy God existed. And I didn't know that vocabulary word, but the reality that he was perfect and transcended me and that I was going to owe him an account was just forcefully upon me. And my unsanctified mind had some choice words about that. Like, Mm -hmm. frankly, I felt 
afraid. Yeah. I was sexually immoral. I was arrogant. I was a liar. I was reading a stolen book. You know, all the chips were pretty squarely in the guilty category. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly with that, I think by the spirit, I also realized that part of the reason Jesus had come was to place himself as a barrier between God's wrath and me. And that the only way to be safe was to run towards him, not away from him, sort of caught there almost midair for a moment thinking, I don't want to become a Christian. They are super lame. (laughs) At the same time, I was like, I can't pretend that this isn't true just because it's inconvenient for my life. Like that seems like the height of stupidity. I'm not ever going to get a better deal than this. So I remember I didn't have like a nice campus minister or pastor with me, but I kind of knew I needed to pray. So I just sort of closed my eyes and was like, okay, fine, I'll be a Christian. And then you know, then I went to class. <laughs> that was how I started following the Lord. You know, I have interviewed hundreds of people on this show. Hands down, my favorite stories of people coming to know the Lord are not, I grew up in a Christian home, which listen, my kids are growing up in a Christian home, not that, but it's such a testimony of what God says he'll do is to draw people towards him and the Holy Spirit's work in people's lives. And so amazing, amazing, amazing. Now here's my next question to follow up with that is you're kind of having this identity crisis as well. Like now you're going, here's what I've always thought Christians would think about a gay person. What did that do to your morality? I mean, because Jesus comes in and wrecks our morality. Uh, What did it do for yours at that time in your life as a freshman? I don't know if you were in a relationship then, but you would have considered yourself what did that change for you? Well, so because I'd read that packet before I decided to follow Christ, I felt pretty confident that the Bible said no to same-sex lust and sexual and romantic relationships. Like I felt confident that it said no. And I've since learned Greek and Hebrew, and it turns out it still says no. So fine, like we're solid. But what I really struggled with in terms of the morality early on in my Christian walk was I didn't understand why God said no. Because I got involved in a Christian community really quickly, uh, and they were amazing, and they just showed so much love to me, and they taught me how to pray and how to read the Bible, and that Christian music is always bad, and just all the things you need to know (laughs) to be an evangelical. But my attraction to women wasn't going anywhere. It's been 16 and a half years, and my attraction to women hasn't gone anywhere. And so early on, it was a little like, okay, I see that you say no, but why would you say no? Like, this doesn't hurt anyone. And so I kind of went through this period of talking with the Lord was like, well, if you just tell me why you say no, then I will obey with perfect joy and Mm -hmm. completeness, which is ridiculous, obviously. But that's what I was arguing. And really the first great thing the Lord pressed me on was, hey, that's not the right question. What if the more important question than why I'm asking something of you is, can you trust the one who's asking? Because if I'm only willing to obey when I both understand and agree, how am I not making myself God? Mm. And we cannot trust in the most tender places, in the riskiest places, unless the person asking us is someone who has proven beyond a doubt that they're trustworthy. And so it forced me again and again into the person of Christ. And honestly, actually forced me a lot back to the story of the Garden of Eden. Because there's this really interesting reality. I think it turns out God has always wanted our relationship with him to be about faith and not sight. Because in the garden, he makes this whole good world. And we would have understood if his prohibition, like one prohibition was like, hey, y'all, don't murder each other. Like that would have made sense. Mm -hmm. 
we all intuitively understand that murder is wrong. Like if you don't, you should go seek help, right? Right. But actually the prohibition God gave them was, hey, don't eat this fruit of a tree that's connected to good or evil, or the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Like even vegans eat fruit. You know what I mean? There's not really, you actually need to trust the Lord in order to follow that command. And that's right where the serpent pressed Eve. Ooh, God's holding out on you. And she had all this evidence to demonstrate to her that God was for her, not against her. But she still ate that. She used her data, right? It looked good. She knew it was desirous to make her wise. She knew it would be delicious. She had her data and she had the word of God. And she went with her data instead of the word. And we've all lived downstream of her and Adam's bad decision in that sense. So I felt like that was the Lord trying to communicate to me like, hey, I know that sometimes my word is going to look contrary to your own data even, Mm -hmm. but can you trust me? And the fact that Christ came for us, not even that he died, which is enough, but the fact that he came at all proves that he's trustworthy. And I had to throw myself on him again and again well, frankly, my whole walk with him, but in a particularly urgent way in those early years of my walk. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know, you talk a lot in your book, and the chapter that I want to cover real quick is that unexpected ministry. And it, it sounds like even what you're talking about here is there's this idea of denial of ourself. We read it in scripture. As a woman who doesn't struggle with same-sex attraction, I feel like, oh, I get a pass on this. Like, I, what am I denying myself? You know what I mean? Like, it, I am love to pursue the the attraction of my husband. You know, those type of things. But you talk a lot about the cost of following Jesus. And when I think about same-sex attracted Christians and what it costs them, in my humanity, I think, well, that's not fair. Well, and I think that's exactly the right question. I think that a lot of people have felt, they immediately feel, wait a minute, that's not fair. Right. And so out of a sense of love, we can want to like look at the scriptures again and think, well, maybe I missed something, right? Like maybe Mm -hmm. this is okay. Because you want, first of all, if you're same-sex attracted, you want to be happy and fulfilled. And the church and Disney have told you that that only comes through romance. Mm -hmm. Turns out it's not biblical. Yeah. Or there's gay people in your life. You want them to be happy. And so you think, well, that's the way they're going to be happy. And it turns out that maybe, maybe white Christians in America, it hasn't cost us really anything to follow Jesus And that's not really typical of the Christian life. Mm. I do think maybe that's starting to change. We're going to start to experience some discomfort, which I think could potentially be deeply helpful for discipleship in our church. We shouldn't be afraid. Actually, we can expect God to show up for us. But I do also think when we notice this discomfort or this little cry of that's unfair, it might be time for us to learn from Christians in different centuries or from our black brothers and sisters in this country or from people who following the Lord has cost a lot. And I think in this particular moment, same-sex attracted believers aren't the only ones, but there is something about saying yes to Christ, even over the goodness that romance and sexual fulfillment can be. It is really powerful. It's not only about self-denial. It is a denying of yourself. But frankly, my favorite parable that I think expresses truly what I felt when I first came to Christ and even now in my life is in Matthew. There was a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had and he bought that field. To me, that in his joy, it wasn't a begrudging selling. It wasn't like this is stupid. Now I got to sell all my stuff so I can buy this dang field. He was Mm -hmm. so excited about the treasure that selling everything seemed possible. Mm -hmm. Would it have been possible before finding it? No, but Christ is the treasure. So like, yes, self-denial. But when Jesus is actually revealed to us as beautiful as he is and as worthy as he is, I think it also helps set the context that I don't want people to look at me and think, well, that's unfair. I want them to look at me and think, oh my goodness, she has more love now than she could ever have chasing her desires. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. I'm going to read a whole page of your book, if that's okay with you. 
This is from that chapter, Unexpected Ministry. And I would say that in your book, this was the chapter that moved me to think deeply the most of where are we as the church missing out on the ministry that someone has who maybe has decided to stay single their entire life. Right. So I'm going to read this from your book. Ready? Here we go. I'm going to read this whole page. I can't even believe it because I'm excited. Everything. Here we go. Everyone in our world feels the power of sex and romance. You spoke of this while ago. When we say Jesus is better, which side note, my husband wrote a song about six years ago called Jesus is Better. So this was fun. I actually put little music notes in here because I thought, oh, okay, here we go. When we say Jesus is better than these things, we're not trying to shrink them, but to magnify him. If we tried to pretend that these good gifts were actually bad, we wouldn't even believe ourselves. I knew that there was physical and emotional pleasure to be had in my old life. But the fact was that what Jesus offered me was simply better. His promises were sweeter, his sustaining love richer. It is pathetically easy for the church to take good gifts and worship them instead of God. This has happened to us with sex and romance, and yet we act as if it's only the world's problem. They chase hookups and cohabitation, and we click our tongues. Yet we chase sex and romance too, but we just cover it with a Christian veneer. So we get the pleasure of feeling morally superior as we trot about looking for the one, that starry-eyed soulmate spouse who will complete us. How foolish. The only one who can complete us is Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel. How could an image ever replace the real thing? Singleness for the Christian testifies to the sufficiency of Christ, to the world, and to the church. Of course, all sexually faithful people can communicate the worth and beauty of Jesus in this way, straight or otherwise. But somehow in this cultural moment, there is a special potency when that is lived out in the life of a same-sex attracted believer. Perhaps that is because the Western culture chorus is shouting ever louder that authenticity is only found in following your flesh. To specifically deny what your body wants is a scandal in our culture. When pursuing your desire for same gender sex and romance would publicly mark you as a hero, brave and strong, denying it makes you a villain. And I wrote, dang. That's... I should have had you do my audiobook. <laughs> Call me next time. I'm in. Talk with me about that. Just about, let's talk about the differences, even that the church, you and I both love the church. We're both faithful followers of Jesus. I am so for the church. It is God's way to get his truth to the world. So, absolutely. But let's talk about how we, as people inside of God's church, how we can A, not have the superior morality, like I am better than you. B, how do we love our congregants, our neighbors, our friends who are in the LGBTQ community? Like, how do we do that well? And then I gave you two things. How do we love them? How do we handle it in our church? And then lastly, I want to hear like, how do we as a church, well, you do those and I'm going to go here next. I know where I'm going. That might be too much to hold in my mind. Go ahead. Not actually as smart as I look. We've got to recognize that for some reason in our church, we, in our churches, we've decided that married life is varsity and single life is JV, or maybe not even JV, maybe like the sad freshman team. Like freshman C team. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're like, oh, you're not athletic, but your dad wants you here. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) This is not what we see in the scriptures. When we see Jesus talking, especially in Matthew 19, when we see Paul talking, especially in 1 Corinthians 7, We see that both marriage and singleness are beautiful, full of dignity and honor because they both communicate about God's worth. But instead, we can kind of 
move around single people like, well, you're incomplete until you're married, or I'm incomplete until I'm married, or we can make promises to our young people that if they're good little boys and girls, then God will reward them with a spouse with whom they'll have great sex forever. So, of course, this makes God look like a liar when either you've actually been faithful and you don't end up married, or when you end up married and things are really hard, or the sex is really hard, or actually you're lonelier than when you were single. So when we lie about God, it hurts ourselves and it hurts about others. And some of us, we've just inherited these things. It's not like we read the text ourselves and decided marriage was all this. We've just absorbed it. Actually, Rachel Welcher has a great book coming out this fall that uh, is called Talking Back to Purity Culture that I think addresses how this has absorbed into the church really well. But so we've got to kind of deal with our own house, which is like, actually, we have the spirit and God's word and God's people. We need to go back to the text and look at where is life found and not just assume that it's found in married life. And we also need to look pretty clearly as if we're treating certain schools of sexual sin differently than we're treating other schools of sexual sin. It turns out you do not have to teach any human being to figure out when something's unfair. Like a person can be 13 months old, and if her cookie is slightly smaller than the other 13 months old, she will scream about it. Like we, we're better at noticing fair than we are at almost anything else. Yeah. And it's very easy for both people who grew up in the church who are same-sex attracted and also people outside to notice that sometimes in the church, even discussion, even if you even experience same-sex attraction at all, you're this like monster, you need to be excluded, or like you can't come in until you're straight, which I checked the pages. It turns out heterosexuality doesn't automatically make you holy. Turns out most sexual sin is committed by straight people. So there's that, the demonization on the one hand of same-sex attraction and also kind of a winking at certain straight sins. We're like, but all men deal with pornography. And you know, like, well, they're living together, but they're going to get married. This kind of, it turns out God's sexual ethic is impossible for all of us and that we all need the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And if we can't come to the scriptures and honestly before the Lord acknowledge that every single one of us experiences and expresses our sexuality in a way that dishonors and falls short of him, but also that for every single one of us, he has more than enough grace and strength to equip us for holiness. And there's no way we're going to be able to love the people outside the church. We're not even able to love ourselves. We always end up with this fear that when God is looking at us because of our sexual sin or for other things that he's looking at us with this furrowed brow or with this disappointed face, or looking at his watch and tapping his foot and being like, I can't wait till she's that person that I saved her to be, because then I'll really love her. Or I can't believe she's doing this again. But in actuality, if we're hidden in Christ, when he looks at us, his face is full of love and full of affection for us right now. And I think if we don't know how to grab that for ourselves, We won't have the power to practice self-denial because there are certainly things God wants you to say no to because they're not good for you. And two, we will not be able to speak a gospel that is life to those in the LGBT community, especially, frankly, because their most same-sex attracted disciples will not marry. 
And so if our church looks like a graveyard for single people over the age of, well, in New England, it'd be single over the age of 35. I think maybe in the South, it's single over the age of 24. It's unclear to me where the cutoff is. 100%, yeah. If that's the vision, like you're not a family unless you're a nuclear family, then the gospel, it's not real. Like Jesus and, you know, Peter's trying to show off and be like, oh, we left everything for you. And he's like, right. And there's no one who's left houses and fathers and mothers and lands who will not receive not only eternal life, but a hundred times more here. Like we're supposed to be God's fulfillment of that word to people who leave real community and real family. Mm. We're meant to be that for each other. Married people and single people, uh, cross-pollinating, loving each other, actually being, being the kind of family where you really annoy each other, but also get each other perfect surprise birthday gifts, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of family. family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what would you say someone can look at you and go, okay, Maybe we have a listener who's struggling with same-sex attracted or they know someone that isn't like, well, look, Rachel got married. This is right. like, if we could just, if I could just will myself to get married, if I could just do what I think is quote unquote right, speak to that because I don't know if you even struggle with that within your marriage, not within your marriage, but just speaking of like, I want to be a voice for this and I got married. So, I mean, I have to tell you, writing the chapter on singleness in my book was like the most afraid I've ever been to do a piece of public writing. Wow. I got married when I had just turned 22. Like, what in the world do I possibly know about singleness yeah. from an experiential sense? Mm-hmm. But I know in God's word that He's made promises for how He draws near to those who don't have family. And I know in his word that the church is supposed to be that. But there is a difficulty, right? People can want to take my story or frankly, anyone else's story, right? God has done some beautiful things in the life of people, specifically in the life of same-sex attracted people. My friend Sam Alberry once joked with me, he's like, it is laughably easy for God to save a gay person. Because when God moves, do we believe that the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes? Like you hear the gospel, the spirit works, and you're like, Never mind, I'm going this way, right? Mm -hmm. But what we want to do is we want to take one of these great stories we've heard and just laminate it onto ourselves or laminate it onto our friend because maybe we see that person, they seem to be doing well, and we want ourselves to do well. We want the people we love to do well. Those are good longings, but we have to recognize the way that grace shows up in each of our lives is really different. If you read the back end of Hebrews 11, it's like, by faith, some of them were stopping the mouths of lions and receiving back from the dead, you know, their loved ones. And by faith, they were being cut in two and living in caves. You're like, ooh, can I be in the shutting the mouths of lions? Yeah, yeah. Like, by faith, there's a lot of different things that can happen. And so I think we do need a little more comfort with the fact that God is good you know, like the three friends who are about to be thrown into the furnace. God's good whether he shows up in that furnace or not. But we also need to recognize singleness. And I know we already talked about this, but like singleness is not a noose around your neck. It's not supposed to be. If it feels that way, something is wrong with the way we're practicing it. Mm. So I am so... My marriage is a complete gift to me. My husband is like functionally the platonic ideal of a husband. Like when I met him when he was a teenage boy, I'm like, you are such an unripe fruit. You're going to be perfect as a middle-aged married man. Like it's just, so it's really, I had to close that deal before he realized he was getting the worst end of it. (laughs) So there's nothing about throwing marriage aside, but it is in recognizing um, intimacy and community and love are so much more abundant than just a romantic pairing. Yeah. I think that through 
your work and a couple of other relationships in my life, I have, I mean, and I'm 42, grew up in the church, love Jesus, want to love people so well. I have had an understanding, almost like an awakening in my own life um, of what it looks like to be same-sex attracted and a, like pursuing a faithful relationship with Jesus Christ. I would have ignorantly said 10 years ago that that wouldn't be possible. Well, we were taught that you have to become straight. Right. But the problem is it's not in scripture. Yeah. And And that's a big problem. That's a big problem. And so I think that is what can be so confusing for some people to hold on to is this understanding that they can look someone in the eyes and go, okay, so you are same-sex attracted. You love Jesus and you're going to pursue this life of following him no matter what it costs you. And that's important. I want to ask you this before we close. I posted your book on Instagram that I was reading it. Um, nice. I'm not stories. on Instagram, so I have no idea. Well, it's okay. I posted on my stories that I was reading it and I got a message from someone and she said, this was her message, basically what she said. She says, I liked your photo and now I changed my mind. I read about the book and this is hurting LGBTQ youth. Mm. And so I don't know why you're promoting this message. Mm-hmm. And so I responded back, which I don't normally respond back to people. And I said, I promise I'm not trying to create an argument at all. I read the entire book and I did not hear a tone from Rachel at all to be damning of gay people or hurting anyone. And so now that person hadn't read your book, obviously. And so what is your reaction to that narrative? Because I know you hear it often. And because you even told me that like, one of the reasons that you wrote this book is because you want same-sex attracted Christians to live a life of freedom and fulfillment and following Jesus. With your purpose in writing the book and the way the person interpreted it, where do you speak into that? Well, the first thing I think is I'm so glad that what she's concerned about our LGBT youth. I mean, honestly, it is still really hard on the ground. It's this funny dynamic. If you just looked at the internet, you'd think that being gay was like the coolest thing that could ever possibly happen to you. But on the ground, LGBT youth, especially transgender youth, especially transgender youth of color, are still experience rates of homelessness and substance abuse and other problems, usually because they are not supported by their communities. This is not 1989 problem. This is a 2020 problem where a kid gains the courage to come out to their Christian parents and are told, we're not paying for college anymore, you have to leave, Mm. right? So if we're not taking that deadly seriously, then we are not taking this conversation seriously. If your doctrine is correct, but your love is wrong, your doctrine is wrong. Mm. There are only two people in scripture that Jesus rebukes, Satan and very religious conservative people. If we don't take that seriously, then we're not reading the scriptures in a way that's going to speak life to the world around us. And honestly, I want to be open consistently to hearing if there are things that I'm saying or things that I'm doing that are harmful to people. Because, you know, you get a person who just sits in a room alone with a lot of books for a long time and she can can send out some bad arrows. But I think what has happened is LGBT youth are getting hurt by a lack of love. They're not actually getting hurt by the doctrinal position as it's actually found in scripture. They are getting hurt by how it's being carried out in the church. I think that what you said is the most important thing. It's not necessarily the doctrine of scripture, but it is the way that it's carried out within the church. Well, there was a huge sociological study, I think done in 2017, biggest study of its kind, a religious survey of LGBT population in America. First of all, it found that 
a higher percentage of LGBT people uh, grew up going to church than the normal, the standard American, who is the standard American, who even knows. Right. And that uh, 51% of those people who had grown up in the church, so I'm already outside of that category because I didn't grow up, but 51% of those people left. So now you're thinking, why did they leave? Okay, so of that people, 3%, 1, 2, 3% left because they didn't like doctrine. Mm. 97% left because they had been mistreated. That's a Sometimes problem. terribly. So a huge reason why I wanted to write this book was to show that God is for us. Mm. Every single one of us, if we are following Christ, is going to have to say no to things that we want because not everything we want is good. Yeah. Either what we want is bad or we want too much of it. Or we want it in the wrong way. I mean, like yeah. you are a married woman. I'm mm-hmm. sure that you've experienced draws towards people who are not your spouse. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not... You have to say no to that. Right. You have to say no to that. And so the thing is, God has said the faithful path with our bodies in terms of sexuality is to be faithfully single or faithfully married. And he has all the power in the world to help us live in that faithfulness, whether we're attracted to men or women or both or neither or potted plants. Like on some level, our attractional pattern is beside the point. Wherever God calls you, he will equip you. Mm. And he's always done that for his saints. And so I want, and that's why talking about singleness is so important, which we've already done, but I I just want people to hear you are not despised. You are beloved. Mm. You are not an orphan. You are in a family. You are not stranded. You are not uh, left to wait here in the hallway until you clean up your stuff. Mm. Like you are brought in now. And I think that as a church, we need to get much better at the compassion towards people. It's an airplane with two wings, compassion towards people and faithfulness to scripture. You cut off either wing, the thing doesn't fly. We want to lead with compassion to scripture. When we read in John 8, that when God drew near, when Jesus drew near to the woman who was caught in adultery, his first word was, then neither do I condemn you. Only then was it, now go and sin no more. Yeah. I think that that is spot on with when I hear hurt from friends that are gay, same attraction, whatever the word is appropriate to use, it is that hurt of lack of love, lack of compassion, lack of acceptance. I recently had a conversation with a friend who she's not of Christ follower and we differ on this area. And she asked me a couple of questions and I was able to just talk with her about almost exactly what you said it way better than I did, but about this belief in what God, I believe is true in scriptures and this compassion for all people. And she said back to me, I love your humanity and I love how you love people. And I thought that was like the greatest compliment of 2020 I've gotten so far. I mean, you know, I've just, this is a very difficult subject to talk about within our church and outside of the church. And I have to say that I think you do it with so much grace, so much compassion. You are empathetic to the situation. And so thank you. Oh God for that. We have to remember when we read the scriptures, it wasn't just that Jesus went to sinners. The sinners wanted to be with him. Yeah. You know, first of all, I'm a sinner, so I want to be with him. (laughs) We read the story, don't think I'm Jesus or the same one. But like, are we presenting a Christ that our friends who don't know him want to want to be with? Because mm-hmm. that's Christ as he really is. Yeah. Yeah. Your family, what was harder for them? Your original family, what was harder for them? You following Jesus or you entering into a heterosexual marriage? You know, honestly, they had no problem with either. 
So that's a, Good. it's a difficult, like my, I love that. I was just curious cause you grew up in a, a you know, a non-religion family and my mom, she became a Christian the year after me. Oh, I love it. Praise God. But a church left a gospel of John tracked on her car windshield. Like mm-hmm. the things that shouldn't even work. The things I make fun of. Yes. The things I make fun of. And I'm like, y'all, God delights to use the weak things of the world I to prove it. we're not so strong. And my dad is like the friendliest unbeliever who's ever existed. He's just yeah. like, I just love how good this is for you. And I'm like, this is for you too. Uh-huh. But I'm yeah, so yeah. glad you're not mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I love so it. they've been awesome. Uh, okay, Rachel, I want to ask you this final question. I've heard you mention it while we're talking today. I think I heard you mention it in the book. Would you still consider yourself same-sex attracted? Yes. To me, that we just talked about how the church has to be like compassionate and everything. And we talked about how it's difficult to kind of take in these realities. How can the church reconcile that you still have these attractions, but yet you're following Jesus and denying those? I think that is a struggle for some people. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Because in some quarters, we're very comfortable with the idea that God doesn't remove temptations while we're still here on earth. Right? We live right. in the already, not yet. But somehow when it comes to this area, we can feel like, oh, just the presence of those same-sex attractions must indicate some kind of deficiency in your faith. Honestly, I just think that comes from years of the way that it was taught in church is that being straight is holy. Mm. And so I think it's just we're still recovering from that impulse. But we just have to recognize every single one of us desires to do things we shouldn't do or doesn't desire things we know we should do. It's the experience of all of us um, to want things that don't honor the Lord right now. Because we've, we've been saved from the penalty of sin, and we have been saved from the power of sin. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is pretty clear that we never, ever, ever, ever have to say yes to sin. But that doesn't mean we've been saved from the presence of sin. Mm. Sin is still... Uh, so you know, Paul says, like, put off the old man, put on the new man. He wouldn't need to say that if we were like, ha ha, I'm never tempted towards anything. I just right. live in this like temptationless bliss. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, um, it's everyone's Christian experience that uh, we long sometimes for things that God has said no to, or sometimes you're working for a, a season, maybe, maybe your temptation is towards gossiping and you really work on it. You think, ah, oh, I've, I've killed that. And then, you know, six months later, oh, just this juicy situation comes. You're like, oh, I thought I'd killed it. And it's back. That temptation to speak, right? So we know. Because again, the way that I experience same-sex attraction now is very different than I was first a Christian. I have, through the muscle of obedience, I've really worked up in my life a lot of checks so that if it happens, I can deal with it faithfully. So honestly, early in my Christian walk, I would have called it a struggle now it's more of experience. Now more what I struggle with is like, should I throw my daughter out the window when I'm mad at her? Right. Um, so I think it's helpful for us, even as we draw near to our friends who are following Christ with same-sex attraction, to not assume that this is the main thing on their discipleship agenda. That's good. It might actually be something else entirely because it yeah. turns out all of us are full people with lots of problems. <laughs> That's right. You know, I think it's just, it's such a reminder. And, and I told you, it's what God has been doing so much in my life through just books like yours and friends that we have in our life of just this kind of removal of this would be the worst struggle to have in the world. Right. 
And and it's embarrassing to say that because I talk, I think like that, like I struggled with sexual sin before I became a follower of Jesus, very sexual active as a young teenager. And my thing now is I'm like, that wasn't, that was bad. I made bad choices. God, there's worse things in the world. And it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, I've said very, I've said before, my kid comes to me and is like, man, I screwed up. I have sex with my girlfriend. It's not an automatic get out of my house. Get out this of is my the house. worst thing you could ever do. No, oh. it's like, okay, we messed up. Yeah. God's grace. We're going to move forward. If Paul but can yet, write to the Corinthians that they're the holy ones in Christ, then we got a lot of leeway. <laughs> yes, but yet we take this same-sex attracted and as heterosexual people, we think, I don't know how you could struggle with that and follow yeah. Jesus. And so I'm grateful for you, Sam, our friends here that w- that are speaking into our voices to go, this is not end all be all. So thank you for that so much. It's my joy. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Okay, what are you loving these days? What are you reading? What brings you joy in the midst of summer of 2020? Well, so a couple days ago, like the rest of the world, I listened to Taylor Swift's new album. (laughs) And it turns out moody Taylor Swift is maybe the thing I've needed for a long time. I was like, this is so dark and teenage and mopey, and I'm really loving it, like maybe too much. Um, Love it, love it. And I'm also loving, this is so... I have to read so many ridiculous things for my PhD. I'm starting a doctorate in public theology, but like I went to the library and she had these heaps of books and I'm like, ha ha, like I'm just so excited. I finished Bonhoeffer's Ethics. I'm going to read Don Carson's Exegetical Fallacies later today. That sounds Um, so exciting. Got N.T. Wright's History and Eschatology on my shelf. Like I'm just, I'm pretty pumped. But the other thing that's been really fun is, I don't know if you watched um, the Nickelodeon cartoon classic Avatar The Last Airbender when it originally ran. No, no, no. But isn't there a new one? Well, I don't know if there's a... Well, there was a new one that, that came out. I didn't like as much. Okay. But the original Avatar, we just started watching with our, our daughter. Yeah. And that's been really fun. I love it's that. It's really fun I to watch that. that. So that's been like our fun little after dinner thing during the summer. I love it. Rachel, thank you so much. Born Again This Way, Coming Out, Coming to Faith, and What Comes Next released this last March. I highly recommend you get it. I'll say this. I highly recommend you read it nowhere, no matter where you fall. Like whatever it is, wherever you see things, I think this would be a great addition to your study on maybe what you're learning about God's view of sexuality and design for marriage. I highly recommend it. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. Guys, I'm so thankful for Rachel's passion for the word. And she's quite hilarious as well. 
and the way that she wants the church to be a community that abundantly displays love and truth. I love that so much. And Rachel's whole desire in writing this book was she wanted people that she knows who are followers of Jesus to know that they can live a fulfilled life. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a friend. We love it when you share the show with a friend. Have a happy hour with a friend. I'll see you guys back here on Friday for Amy Julia Becker. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.